The uh, passage, very short, Habakkuk 3.2, the prophet writes the following words, O Lord, revive your work. And over the last few weeks, that's kind of what we've been asking God for, church. We've been asking for revival to take place in our lives, in our homes, in our families, our marriages, in the church, and so many areas of our lives is what we've been asking for, for the great work and works of God to be revived in our lives and in our church. How many of you want that great work to be revived in your life? Not great work to be revived here at South Metro Ministries. Amen. Before I go farther in the word, let's just pray one more time. Just ask God to prepare our hearts. Amen. Father, we just thank you that your spirit is in this place. We thank you, Father God, that you've got some great things in store for your people. Even tonight, Father God, we don't have to wait till Sunday. We don't have to wait till tomorrow that we can experience uh, your goodness, your grace, your power, your mercies in our lives even now. So I pray, God, that your anointing would rest upon me as you always do, Father God. And I thank, for you, thank you for your faithfulness in that area. Thank you for your anointing. Thank you for your promise to be with us. And I pray that you would do that tonight, God, that you would touch your people's mind and their hearts that they might receive and that you would touch my words as well with your hand, Father God, that your words would be spoken and that it would draw us closer, Father God, to that place that you desire for us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. On November 11, in 1865, Charles Spurgeon, who if any of you know him, who is one of the greatest preachers, I believe, that Christendom has known, writes the following words concerning revival. And the text he used in this sermon that he preached on that day was the one that I just shared. O Lord, revive your work. And this is only a small portion of what Charles Spurgeon preached 155 years ago. He says, in this matter concerning revival, we should begin at home. How many of you know it starts right here with me, myself, and I? All too often we flog the church when the whip should be laid upon our own shoulders. We drag the church like a gigantic culprit to the altar. We tie her hands together and try to immediately execute her, or at least we find fault with her where there is none. We magnify her little errors while we too often forget our own imperfections. Let us therefore begin with ourselves, remembering that we are part of the church and that our own need of revival is in some measure the cause of that need in the church at large. I directly blame the great majority of professing, Christian, professing Christians in these days and I also accept the blame myself, acknowledging the need of a revival of holiness. How many of you know that's the kind of revival we need? We need a revival of holiness. We need a revival of his wonder-working power in our midst, like Pastor said. A revival that only comes through a spirit of holiness and a spirit of righteousness. A, a true revival and a spirit-filled revival. And it's what I believe we've been praying for, church. 155 years ago, Charles Spurgeon speaks to the church and says, We need a personal revival of holiness. And, and, and it really took me aback that 155 years ago, long before the things that we experience and encounter in our world today, even 155 years ago, Charles Spurgeon thought we needed a revival. 
155 years ago, before all the junk we see taking place in our society that Charles Spurgeon thought we needed a revival of holiness and how much more we need that revival today. We need a revival of holiness because without holiness we shall not see God, the Bible says. A holiness without which we shall not see His power. We shall not see His miracles and we shall not see His goodness or His glory in our midst. A holiness without which we shall not see the work of God or the power of God or the, the, the majesty of God or the, 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 the hand of God in our lives. And it's exactly why Spurgeon said the majority of so-called Christians in this age need a revival. And the same holds true today. And we're part of that number, church. We need a revival in our midst. We, we need the, 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 the power of God to be restored into our lives. A revival of holiness. A revival of His Holy Spirit. A revival of His Word in our life. And prayer in our life. And a revival of His will and His ways to take place in our lives. For a better understanding of what revival is actually all about and what revival will require, we need to understand what that word revival really means, especially based upon the Word of God. We need to know that revival means a restoration of something old, a restoration of something forgotten, something overlooked, and something overshadowed. It means a restoration of something set aside. And the truth is, God begins to speak the need for revival among His people when He has been set aside, when He has become overshadowed, when something else has taken His place in our lives and in the church. So He speaks the need for revival when His children have set Him aside in favor of their own fancies, when we have pushed Him aside and, and, and in so that we can uh, pursue our own pleasures and so we can pursue some of our other goals in life. He speaks the need for revival when we have set Him aside, when we have set His Word aside, when we have set His church aside, when we have set His ways aside in, in pursuit of our own ways and in pursuit of our own wishes and our own pleasures and our own will. He, he speaks the need for revival when His ways and His statutes and His ordinances and His uh, ways have been forgotten in our lives. They've been overlooked and they've been overshadowed by the things of this world, whether it's the pleasures of the world or the, the cares of the world or the, the struggles of the world. All of those things can cause Christ to become overshadowed and pushed aside in our own life. You see, the reality is we wouldn't be talking about revival if we didn't need it. We wouldn't be talking about revival if something wasn't out of place in our life. We wouldn't be talking about revival if something in our life hadn't died, if something in our life hadn't been pushed aside, if something in our life needs to be put back into place. God wouldn't be moving upon the hearts of His people unless something had to be put back where it should be. That's when God speak, begins to speak revival. That's when revival rumblings begin to take place because something's not right in our spiritual life. We wouldn't be speaking about revival, planning revival, unless God saw something out of place in our lives. I don't care if we've been in church for 25 years, 35 years, or 5 years. God speaks revival when something is not where it needs to be. The word revival means a renewed spiritual fervor. So when God speaks revival, when he seems to be, when, when we seem to be overwhelmed with the need for personal spiritual revival in our life, it means the fire of our faith has grown cold. 
It means the fire of our faith isn't burning like it should be burning. It means the the passion that we have for God isn't what it used to be. It means the hunger and the thirst that we once had for the things of God and God himself aren't where they used to be. It means that we could care less whether we're in church or not, whether we could care less if we're in the word or not, whether we could care less if we're in his presence or not. God begins to speak the need for revival when we care less and less about who he is. When we care less and less about his house and his word, and he begins to stir within us the need for revival in our life. Listen, I speak above all of you. Like Pastor even said, I need personal revival in my own life. I need to get some things back into place. I need to get, I need to get some things where they should be in my life so I can experience even a greater anointing and a greater power and God's greater promises in my life. That means our intensity and our passion for God must be restored. You see, I look back and I remember the day that I got saved. Boy, and I every night I laid my head to pillow to the pillow. There was just this burning desire inside of me to get closer to God and more intimate with God. I can remember that day where tears would run from my eyes upon my pillow just because I understood how much God loved me and how much I loved Him in return. And I need that same thing to be revived in my life once again. And I believe if all of us were honest, we would too. We need the fire to be rekindled in our life. The word revival means a restoration of force and of power. A restoration of validity and effectiveness. So once again, when God begins to speak revival to His people... He begins to speak revival to its church. It's because his people and his church have lost their validity. It means they have lost their effectiveness in this world that is dying and decaying and needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We begin to hear the the rumblings of, of revival and the need for revival in our spirit because compromise or complacency or the cares of this world and the, the concerns of this world and the, the hurts of this world and the responsibilities that this world throws upon us have caused us to lose, like I said, our validity and our effectiveness in the midst of a world that needs to hear about God. You see, the reality is... Charles Spurgeon used this passage and said, O Lord, revive your work, because he felt like God's work wasn't being done. He felt like God's work wasn't being achieved and being accomplished like it should, because we have lost the power and the validity and the the effectiveness to carry out the Great Commission. That's why he spoke those words 155 years ago. And I hate to say I believe it's the same reason we need revival today. Because there's far too many of us that are not carrying out the Great Commission. There's far too many of us that are waiting on the pastor to, to, to share the good news. To, to, for the pastor to go out into the highways and the byways and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But I want you to understand it's all of our responsibility. It's all of our duties. It's not the pastor that has gone to sleep. And it's not the church as a whole, like, like, uh, like Charles Spurgeon said, that went, has gone to sleep. It's all of us, individually that have lost our effectiveness, that are lost our validity, and it needs to be revived. I hate to say it, but far too many of God's people have become so consumed with the world and conformed to the world that they have lost their influence over the world. You see, we are the ones that have influence over the world. We are the salt, and we are to be the light. And the the sad reality is so many of us have allowed the world to, to, to cause the salt to lose its savor. 
and cause the light to go out. And this is one of the reasons why we need personal spiritual revival in our lives. We who are called the sons and daughters of God have become so in love with the world that we have no power to change the world. Have no power to convict the world through the word of God or through the spirit of God. We become so conformed to this world that our claims to Christ likeness are no longer valid. Church, understand what that means. So many of us look like the world and we talk like the world or we dress like the world or we do business like the world. We divorce like the world and lie like the world and cheat like the world and get drunk like the world and fornicate like the world. We are so much like the world that that our claim to Christ's likeness has lost its validity in the eyes of the world. And that must change if there's any if there's any kind of revival that needs to take uh, take place in our lives. It is a revival of validity and power and effectiveness in the world in the world that we live in. You see, we have to understand we can't lose sight of the fact that revival really isn't about you and me. Revival really has nothing to do with the individuals that are coming to preach next week. Revival has everything to do with God, and it has everything to do with this world that needs to see the light of Jesus Christ. It needs to see some wonder-working power in the midst of everything that's going on. And if that wonder-working power doesn't work in the church, if that wonder-working power can't be found in the house of God, if miracles can't take place here, if lies can't be changed here. If souls can't be won here, how in the world do you think it's going to happen out there? If the light of Christ can't shine in the house of God, how's it going to shine out there? God calls us and begins to use this word revival when He looks at the church and He looks at you and me and says, your testimony is no longer valid. When He says all of your works that you do aren't effective anymore when it comes to reaching the world. We need revival because we need to change the world. We need revival because there's individuals that are lost and going to hell. We've got brothers, we've got sisters, we've got sons, we've got daughters that need to know Jesus Christ. And our testimony must be valid. Our life must be effective for the kingdom of God. That's one of the reasons why we need revival, church. Spurgeon writes the following concerning the need for revival. And he says this. It's the last thing that I'll read about Spurgeon. But he says, in the first place. Remember, this is 155 years ago. He says, in the first place, look at the conduct of many who profess to be the children of God. It's very common for many a man to sit at the Lord's table today and confess themselves Christians. But are there fewer cheats than there used to be because of it? Are there less frauds committed? Do we find morality more prevalent? Do we find vice entirely wiped out? No, we do not, he says. The age is as immoral as any that preceded it. There is still as much sin, although it is more masked and hidden. The outside of the grave may be wider, but within the bones are just as rotten as before. Society is not one bit better. Oh, my friends, Spurgeon preaches, the lives of too many members of Christian churches give us grave reason to suspect that there is none of the life of godliness and holiness in them at all. Why all, why all that seeking after money? Why all that materialism? 
Why all that following after the fashions and trends of a wicked world? Why all that clutching here and grabbing there and other things like that if men are truly what they profess to be? God in heaven knows that what I speak is true, he says, and too many here know it themselves. If they are Christians, at least they need revival. If there is any spiritual life in them, it is only a spark that is covered up with heaps of ashes. It needs to be fanned. No, he says, it needs to be stirred as well, that hopefully some of the ashes may be removed and the spark may have a place to live. You see, the reality is for revival to take place, we've got to get some ashes out of the way. For revival to take place in our life, we've got to get the ashes of self and sin out of our life. We've got to get the ashes, the cold, dead ashes of compromise and complacency and unrighteousness out of our lives. We can pray all we want for revival. We can call on God all we want for revival. But until we get out that little shovel and we begin to remove the the dead, cold ashes that keep the fire of God from burning in our lives and burning in our soul... We'll pray till we're blue in the face and God still won't move. But when we come to that place where we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God, like we've never hungered and thirst before, if we come to that place where we're willing to strip off every sin and weight that so easily besets us, and not just blow away the ash, but stir away the ash and remove the ash. Then all of a sudden, that little ember that's inside of our soul has a chance to burn. And the fire of God has the ability to burn bright and strong and with fervor once again. If there was ever a time when we need to remove some ash, it's today. If we want revival to really fall on Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or any day after that, we've got to begin to examine ourselves and get some of these cold, dead ashes out of our life. You see, some of us have been holding on to some things that we've got to get out of our life. We've been holding on to some dead, cold things that have to be removed from the soil of our soul so the Spirit of God can rise up in our life. And holding on to a little bit of compromise. We give God all of that, but won't give him this. Give him a little bit of this, but I won't give him that. We've got to get it all out of our life, church, if we really want revival to take place in our life. The reality is, Spurgeon said, revival starts right here. Revival starts at home, he said. Revival starts with the man of the house or the woman of the house. It starts here. We can't blame it on the church. We can't blame it on the pastor. We can't blame it on society. We can't blame it on the staff. We can't blame it on anyone else. It starts right here. God doesn't need revival. We need revival. Jesus doesn't need revival. We need revival. I want you to understand when God's, when, when the church needs revival and you need revival and I need revival, it's never God's fault. It's our fault. It's never God's fault that we grow cold. It's never God's fault that we grow distant. It's never God's fault that we wander away. It's never God's fault that we stumble in sin. It's always our fault and it's why we must cry out for revival. It starts at home. Revival starts from blowing away the ash in order to make room for God. Until we're willing to remove those things, like I said, we cannot expect to see the move of God in in our life until my people, the Bible says, my people, 
who are called by my name. If my people, not the world, uh, 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 he, he doesn't say if the world would just straighten up. If the world would just get it right, if the drunk would just get off the bottle, if the, if the pornographer would just get... You understand? He didn't say... He said, if my people who are called by my name, if my people who call themselves sons and daughters, my people that gather into my house Sunday after Sunday and Wednesday after Wednesday, if my people would humble themselves... If my people would put me in the rightful place in their life, that's what it means to humble ourselves. It put God where He belongs. If my people would put me where I belong, if my people would turn from their wicked ways, if my people would seek my face, if my people would do those things and then pray, then I will hear from heaven, the Bible says, and then you might have revival in your life. You see, the reality is we're not willing to do all of those things. Please understand me. It's not enough to pray. Now, that doesn't sound right, does it? It's not enough to pray for revival. The Word of God tells me that we better humble ourselves if we want revival. The Word of God tells me we better examine ourselves if we want revival. The Bible tells me that I better seek the face of God if I want revival. I can pray all I want while I'm still seeking the world. I can pray all I want while i still got my heart detached from God. Revival comes when we do all of these things. If my people who are called by my, my, my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. He's really saying, then I will heal for, hear from heaven and I will revive them. I will bring them back from the dead. I will bring them back from that place of complacency and spiritual slumber in their life. And revival will take place in their midst. Hope you understand what God is saying when He speaks to us the need for revival. It means something has died and needs to be resurrected. It means something has grown cold, church, and it needs to be set ablaze. It means something has gone to sleep and it needs to be awakened from its spiritual slumber. Please understand, revival is the resurrection of one soul that has grown cold. And we cannot afford, church, to live our Christian life with a cold soul and a cold heart. In Ezekiel, as I begin to wind this down, in Ezekiel eleven nineteen to 20, God speaks of revival concerning His people when He says, I will give them an undivided heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then they will be my people and I will be their God. And the truth is, the main reason God speaks the need for revival among his people is because they have a divided heart. The main reason we will begin to hear the the, the Spirit of God speak the need for revival in our life, it's because our heart is no longer fully God's. It's because our heart has become partially divided. It means there's a little bit of our heart here and a little bit of our heart there and a little bit of our heart over there. It means that we no longer love the Lord with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our strength. That's why God speaks the need for revival. It means there's something wrong in our spirit. He said, I will put a new spirit within them. Well, why would he put a new spirit within us? Because the one that's in us is corrupt. Because the one that's in us is selfish. Because the one that's in us needs a touch. Because the one that's in us isn't pleasing to God. We can't live our Christian life with a divided heart and expect revival. We have to give our whole heart to God. This is what He wants from us, church. He wants us to understand that now before we come to Him on Sunday. 
before we come to him on Monday with our, like pastor said, our checklist and our prayer list of what we want to see God do, when all God wants to see first is a heart that is wholly his. He wants a heart that's burning for him and yearning for him and longing for him. He, he wants a heart that's willing to do whatever it has to do in order to experience the fire of God in his life and in its life, church. The last thing that I want to read to you comes from James chapter 4, verse 7 to 10. The other day, pastor asked the staff a question. It's been in my mind all along, and we've looked at some of that. But he asked the, the staff a question, what is revival? And I shared it just over the last few minutes what revival is. I shared that it is a restoration of some things that have been set aside. Uh, uh, it is a, a renewed spiritual fervor and fire. It is a restoration of power and validity and of effectiveness. These are some of the definitions of revival. Another question I asked myself and pastor even asked is, what are the marks or the evidences of revival? What are the signs that we can see and, and say, yes, revival is truly taking place in our midst. Yes, revival fire is falling. The answer to that is signs and wonders and miracles and healings. It's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's the gifts of the Spirit in operation in His house. It is marriages are being restored and bodies are being healed and minds are being set free and addicts are being set free. The true signs of revival are eyes are being opened physically and spiritually and the lame are walking physically and spiritually. The signs of great revival are an outpouring of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. It is, it is the old life passing away and all things becoming new. Those are signs of revival. But one question remains. How do we experience revival? How do we, how do we revive that which is dead? How do we turn that which has been set aside from God and bring it back into right place? How do we experience revival in our life? And this is the passage that the Holy Spirit led me to. Led me to James chapter 4, verse 7 to 10. And it says this. This is what the Holy Spirit said to me. If you want revival, Jeff, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God. And he was saying this personally. Submit yourself then to me, Jeff. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to me. And I will come near to you, Jeff. Wash your hands, Jeff, and purify your heart. You double-minded, it goes on to say. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before me, and I will lift you up, and I will revive your soul. You see, the reality is that for us to experience revival, I believe for me, it starts with this passage of Scripture. We must relinquish ourselves to God. We must resist the devil and sin. We must return to God with a whole heart. We must repent for our wanderings and for our sins. We must rent our hearts for God, which means a broken and a contrite heart. And we must restrain our pride and learn to walk by the Holy Spirit. When we do these things in our life, church, we will experience personal spiritual revival, I believe. So... 
What I want to do as we close, and I just feel the way that the Holy Spirit has directed me, even in my studies, is, is for us to experience this revival. Yes, I want great and wonderful things to happen. I want the power of God to fall. I want lives to be transformed and changed. I want to see the Holy Spirit flow through this place. I want to see people that are in the hospital bed raised up and walk. I want to see marriages restored. I want to see sons and daughters that have been lost for years finally come home. And make God their father. I want to see a lot of things, but all I know is that it has to start with me. All I know that it, I must first take personal responsibility for my own revival. You see, so often we think revival is all of God's responsibility. So often we think revival is all up to God when this passage of Scripture teaches us different. This passage of Scripture teaches us that there's at least six responsibilities we have in order to experience revival. We can't come on Sunday morning and think that Jonathan Ziegler is going to bring revival if we're not prepared. We, we can't show up on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday without personal preparation and think revival is going to fall in our life. The reality is it might fall all around you, but it won't fall on you, and it won't fill you, church. The way that we experience revival is by saying, God, today, right here, right now, I'm relinquishing myself to you. That's where it starts, church, and that's what I'm going to ask that we do. Over the next few minutes, I would ask that you can stand you can kneel at your chair. You can make your way to the altar. But I believe with all of my heart, church, that the first thing we have to do is relinquish ourselves to God. And I believe over the next few minutes, what we should be willing to do is look at our life and find the ash and begin to move it away. Find all those things that, that have nothing to do with God and godliness and begin to blow them out of our life so that the fire of God can begin to burn within us. So that when Sunday comes, you got a heart that's on fire. Amen. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer, but I don't want to rush into it. I want to give just a second to let the Holy Spirit just begin to speak to us. So don't wait on me, please. Just find a place right now, whether you want to come to the altar, whether you want to just bend a knee or whether you just want to bow ahead. Do that and ask the Holy Spirit to just have his way.